and welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. This is the show where we talk about the TV show Legion, which is a completely cuckoo show. Cuckoo? Cuckoo like a cuckoo clock. Get it? Is that your very last pun? I'm ending on a low note. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jan Moffat. We're winding up the whole... Uh, podcast. There you go. That's slightly better. I think I've said it before. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is our very last episode of Clockworks. And I'm going to be frank, I'm sad about it. How about you, Jan? Sad, but also uh, sad that it took us this long. Yes. But also... uh, in a little ways happy that we can move on to other things. Yeah. And I know that like apologies for lateness are tedious. So this isn't so much an apology, although I am sorry, but that things happened in life. We intended to have this wrap up episode long ago. And then with one thing and another, uh, it was difficult to make it happen. So I'm really glad that we're here recording this I know Legion ended a while ago, so maybe nobody cares anymore, but we still care. And I hope you... Do we? (laughs) Okay. I I still care. care. We'll get into that. (laughs) Um, I hope you listening are listening because you still care. This episode is going to be our last episode of Clockworks, and it is a wrap-up reflection on the whole series as a whole. Mm-hmm. And what we'll do in this episode, we'll talk a little bit about the big ideas of the season, of the series. Uh, we're not going to do too much of that because that has kind of been our bread and butter through this entire podcast. And I think that we have covered our sense of the big ideas of the show many times before. Mm-hmm. So we have a little bit to say about that, but we'll also spend most of this episode doing a more personal uh, and casual reflection on the series and our feelings about it and our favorites and our least favorites and our satisfactions and disappointments and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, why don't we start by talking about the big se- the big ideas of this show and what we think when now that the show is over and, although we didn't have this pause on purpose, now that we've had a couple of months to think back over the whole series we talked about the big ideas of season three but we haven't looked back over the whole series what do you think is like the big what do you think are the big ideas of legion when you look back over all three seasons well i think that we really have to look at the first episode and the last episode to kind of gauge what it was about and mm-hmm. uh or if we only look at those two episodes, rather, what we get is a childhood. What we get is a redo of David's traumatic childhood that we saw in the first moments of the very first episode to David gets a redo of that ep- of that childhood that hopefully isn't as traumatic. And that's just... That's the conclusion we come to. And everything in the middle, in the end, doesn't matter... Or does it? I mean, that is one of the big questions about the series. We talked about that in season three. But, like, if the end of the show is to reset everything, does that mean everything in the middle is irrelevant? I wouldn't say so. No. But I do think you're right. Like, well, two things that I think. One is I'm totally, completely with you on, like, let's pay attention to how it starts and how it ends. I don't think that makes what happens in the middle irrelevant, But I do think it's what contextualizes and makes us be able to understand what happens in the middle. Mm -hmm. And how we understand what happens in the middle depends on the beginning and the end. This is something I teach my first year English courses, (laughs) is if you want to understand theme, pay attention to beginnings and endings, not just of the book, but of chapters, of characters, of because beginnings and endings give meaning Mm -hmm. to what happens in between. And if the ending is to re- back, to go back to the beginning, that does kind of give a sense that it, do, it does 
add a lot of questions about the significance of the middle. Mm-hmm. I don't think it says the middle uh, is irrelevant, but I do think it's a bit of the same. Let's say, like it's this show and Fargo. We talked about uh, when we talked about Fargo. Noah Hawley has an existentialist philosophy. An existentialist philosophy says, uh, you know, is the quintessentialist all about the journey philosophy. Mm-hmm. So the things that happen in the middle, recapping, um, re-looping back to the start at the end of the show is maybe a statement that what happens in the middle, if it has meaning, it has its own meaning for its own sake. Uh whether it's erased or not, whether it has consequence or not, the meaning of it was the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think, like, we just get a glimpse into this alternate world. Yep. We get David's life as it was in that timeline. And we don't, we're not privy to the before, the after, the effects of what changes the world by changing him. We just get a glimpse into the world as it is presented in the show. So all we can uh, do is go with what the themes are there. And of course it has relevance because it's what we watched. (laughs) Right. So it doesn't mean anything in the sense of like, well, nothing means anything in terms of like a TV show. A TV show exists and then doesn't exist anymore. No matter how it ends, it stops existing eventually, unless it's like, you know, The Simpsons. But (laughs) (laughs) eventually it stops existing. And so all we can do is enjoy the innards of the show and say, okay, it reset at the end. What themes do we see in the interior of it? Right. I mean, this is, I'm, uh, it's the other existentialist philosophy in pop culture is on Angel and that episode where of Angel, this series where Angel says, if nothing we do matters, all that matters is what we do. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the statement of this show too. Yeah. Everything resets at the end. Everything they did ma- does matter and it does yeah. have consequences because that second chance will be different from the first chance. But also, I like what you say about every TV show only matters because it matters. Yeah. Like, it matters for its own sake, or it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And one of the things I think Noah Hawley has been interested in, in everything I've seen by him, is like, this is a TV show. Mm Mm-hmm. He does not let you forget it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's a lot of uh, fiction that wants you to suspend your disbelief and pretend you don't know it's a show and pretend you don't know it's a story and just immerse yourself while you're immersing yourself. Mm -hmm. That is not what Legion does. No, not at all. And I think it's exactly relevant that David's life resets, but also the show was the show that Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. And it was about consequence and time in a, like that, it seems to me, looking back over the whole show, that the biggest ideas of the whole show were time and consequences. Mm-hmm. So go more into that. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, I said, like, if the show erases, or I keep saying erasing, it doesn't erase. If the show resets to the beginning, does that mean that the things in the middle don't have consequence? And I think even within the world of the show, they do have consequence because the second reset is different from the first one. Yeah. But I also think that, like, I just think this show has always been, and all three seasons are interested in consequences in a more profound way than we usually see. That we usually see either uh, fiction, especially serialized fiction like TV, we usually see it either kind of, haphazard and thoughtless about consequence where things happen and it doesn't impact the world mm-hmm. or very uh, straightforwardly causal this causes that causes that and it's a chain of events and I think that Legion from season one has been exploring the way that consequences can be unexpected can be uh, multifaceted can be like 
not linear. Mm-hmm. And we could argue about whether there is such a thing as non-linear, non-chronologically linear consequence in the real world. But there is non-linear, non-chronological consequence in Legion. Is that what we're doing, or is that different? No, that's... That's back up. Back up. I don't think it matters if it's popping up. I don't know what we're doing, so just ignore it. Yeah, clearly that's... So, like, the way that the show ends by going back to the beginning, it's like a red hair... It's like a red herring or a temptation or a garden path. This is one of the things um, about... Weird comparison. There's one of the things about Paradise Lost by John Milton hmm. that uh, people say is that what Milton does is he tempts you to read it wrong. He pulls you along in the wrong path. Uh, and the the reading of Milton that says that Milton actually was on Satan's side. Milton wasn't on Satan's side. Milton wants you to understand why Satan is tempting. Mm. And he's tempting you to be on Satan's side, but Milton's on God's side in the end. Right. And I feel like some this show is tempting you to say, nothing we do matters and everything resets and there are no consequences and time isn't real. <laughs> Just the sirens go by. Uh, and if if no consequences, nothing matters, then the show doesn't matter. Exactly. And it does. And there are consequences. Exactly. For every single character in the show, there's consequences. Exactly. And the reset, I think, for every single one of them, not just David, the reset is going to be different. Yeah. For sure. And, and I think somehow they're going to remember... What? I don't know if they're not necessarily going to remember, but I think some part of them on a cellular level will shift and will change. I don't think Sid's going to have the same life. No. Yeah, I think <laughs> they're going to be different, not just in ways that David will impact them, but in other ways too. And one of the points of the show in terms of consequence and... Well, not points, but one of the things that the show demonstrates in terms of consequence... What I was saying about nonlinear consequences is it'll be different next time because they'll make different choices. And why will they make different choices? Because the show doesn't think that choice is uh, deterministic. Mm-hmm. Yes. The show actually does not think that if you take the, a genetically identical person with a, exactly identical experiences and place them in an identical situation, they will always choose the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we see, I think, that the multiple universe David yeah, suggested. Yeah, that really shows. Yeah. And we see that in smaller ways, too, through the whole show, just in the the idea that consequences aren't predictable and aren't uh, linear. Mm-hmm. So the reset doesn't just, they fixed things and now things will be better. It's like try again maybe you'll make worse choices maybe the people around you will make worse choices and that the way that like i don't think that the perspective of the show in the end is that your destiny is up to you because you like absolute uh individualism no and i don't think it's absolute determinism like we all depend on each other's choices yeah absolutely and if they're if the shadow king is redeemed or changed in the end then we don't have uh we don't have that influence on david and so like his choice changes david's choice gabrielle and charles's choice changes like so many tiny factors change everything and the choices within those factors not just the factors themselves yeah but every choice that is made is what the show comes to this is like one of someone uh mallory wrote us an email um thinking over the show and she said i think perhaps the overall message of the show is that we all have the ability to be a hero or a villain 
but that ultimately conflict and anger do nothing but lead us down the wrong path, and that vulnerability is all we need to be on the right track, is what we all need, sorry, to be on the right track, and that it's an ebb and a flow. Sometimes we're the good guy, sometimes the bad guy, but nothing's set in stone and we learn things from our experiences. And that's like the way that we've seen through the whole show that David is sometimes seems like the villain of the show and sometimes like the hero of the show and that the show is using the tropes of superheroes not so much i think in an alan moore uh deconstruct superheroes as a narrative as to like examine the nature of human choice right Mm -hmm. so using the tropes of superheroes of there is the villain and there is the hero and they are binary to actually look at human choices and what makes people do the things they do and how those choices have good effects and bad effects and in any given moment i might be the hero or the villain yeah and that depends both on you and how you see me and on me and the choices I make and the world that I'm in. And it, there's so many... And any given day of the week. Exactly. Of what's going on with, in either of our lives. Yeah. And the, the optimistic message of the show is we can learn, though. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the... Uh, spoiler alert. It's kind of like the big plan at the... Of The Good Place. The most recent episode of The Good Place. <laughs> their version this is not a good place podcast and i'm not going to be spoilery but uh at one point as far as i've seen in the good place they have a big plan of how to make the afterlife better and uh involves choices it involves choices it involves trying again and making better choices and it feels like what <laughs> this show has provided for its characters is exactly what The Good Place wants to provide for people in that one episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What other themes do we want to address today? Like, time is a constant thing in the show. I mean, there's a reason why the hospital is named Clockworks. We named our podcast Clockworks. And can I just say, uh, I'm, I think we made a good choice. (laughs) We basically chose it at random being like, what's a place in the show? Clockworks. That sounds like a fun name for our podcast. Because we named it early in the first season. We didn't know. And seasons two and three didn't care about clockworks as a place but still it turned out to be a very relevant name for legion so yay Mm -hmm. us but also time matters right yeah exactly so what do you think about it well i think that uh like you were saying about non-linear is this weird sense of especially for farouk the way his future self meets his past self and reconciles with Mm -hmm. each other and so this idea of past and future existing almost at the same time yeah that there's no that the linearness of time is messed up within legion and even to like take a step back the thing that drove me crazy that i mentioned multiple times (laughs) in the first season is like okay, it's the 60s, but it's not because there's computers and there's like iPads and there's weird technology that shouldn't be there. And there's, and like, it's aesthetically the 60s, but it's not actually the 60s. It's aesthetically the 70s, but it's not actually the 70s. And that happens again and again in this show is that it, is very concerned about time, and yet it is also not concerned about time. It's t- a timeless place, a timeless world, where it's not our world at all. Well, I think it's concerned with time and conscious about time, and the so the things it's doing with time are like it's it's concerned with time, but antagonistic towards time, the yeah, concept of time. Yeah, maybe time is the true villain in this <laughs> show. I mean, and there's an argument to say that maybe time is the true villain in life. Yeah. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> time is time is our true enemy. Yeah. Sorry. 
I made a creak in my chair and Jan made a face at me. <laughs> Don't mean to not move around too much. Um, and again, it's all connected to consequence. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not sure what I have to say about time that I haven't said a hundred times on this show. Uh, it's so interesting to me. I'm worried that I get will be repetitive. Mm-hmm. But uh, like this show does not take linear time for granted not just within the supernatural universe of the show but like mm-hmm. as a philosophical perspective yeah right there is time travel as this is one of the things i love about the show beginning to end that it there are superpowers but they're also doing the kind of X-Men superpowers, I think the very best way, which is it's all metaphor mm-hmm. and it's all actually making claims about the way the world always works. Like the yeah. X-Men at their best have always been a heavy handed metaphor and also a subtle one at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the time travel in the show is superpowers. Yeah. But it's also we do time travel and that's what memory is Mm -hmm. and that's what i mean i made an argument on a previous episode of clockworks that maybe time isn't real um i'm still the jury's still out on that uh maybe time is super real (laughs) maybe time is super real right maybe like i said maybe uh there's a perspective in which time exists only in our memories Mm -hmm. but our memories exist and time travel is real what Ptolemy in season one especially uh talks about that he likes to think of himself as a time traveler because he can go into and explore memories and has a perfect memory and that's kind of one of the themes of the show by the end like what we can't actually change the world and go back and be children again. But if we can learn from our experiences, that really is a kind of time travel. Mm-hmm. If we can learn from our past, if we can, I mean, in, maybe that's that perspective on time travel is connected to trauma and mental illness. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things a friend of ours who is a psychologist got really mad at me for saying that time isn't real because she said, well, it, I don't think she got really mad, but she uh, was stern with me for saying that time's not real because she studies trauma. Mm -hmm. And she says, like, your brain changes. The memories don't, they're not just some ethereal thing. There's physical evidence. Your brain changes and the things that happen uh, have real effects on you. Yeah. Not just physical trauma, but mental trauma. Those things matter. Yeah. And maybe... uh, revisiting and healing that trauma like what is that if not time travel yeah Hmm. what is time travel if not that and i mean that brings up the major thing in this whole show is mental illness and Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. and how many times do we get repeated over and over it's not like everyone on this show has mental illness like, it's, yep. it's about David and his, like, schizophrenia and his superpower interacting with that. But everyone is traumatized. Everyone has their, like, serious issues. Like, mm-hmm. we have Melanie rescuing David in the first season, but yet she is obsessed with her dead husband and... Or not dead husband, her lost husband. And the... I mean, I just... I think you were right with dead, actually. Yeah. I think I don't want to interrupt your flow. Yeah. So keep going and I'll say. No, it's just like there's that episode in the first season where they all are suddenly in a mental institution and it's a trick or whatever, but it really goes to like demonstrate how they are all mentally ill. We are all like, not that we are all mentally ill, but in the show it, Mm-hmm. It is, there is so much trauma and so much illness and the mutations that they all, like so many of them are mutants and this mutation causes trauma, no matter how good it is, no matter how like, like Professor X has this 
gift that he uses for a positive change, but he is very traumatized by it. And he, in when we finally meet him, there is so much mental illness there from both Gabrielle and Professor X and Charles. Uh, and that has to do, and I feel like that's connected to the time is that this mental illness goes forwards and backwards in time as well. Yeah. And we see like the mental illnesses on this show. Uh, some of them are trauma. Some of them are biological. Some of them are, you know, chemical. Some of them are drug use. Yeah. We see a lot of different kinds of mental illness. And I think that to the show's credit, uh, I mean, I think it's to the show's credit that they kind of avoid uh, telling us why. Mm. Yeah. Because, because it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I like that you brought up Melanie because it's metaphorized and there are supernatural effects. But like, when we look back over the whole show, we can recognize that Melanie in the first season, uh, and partly the second season, and partly the third season, like, well, Melanie is uh, mourning. Yeah. And her trauma is grief. Mm -hmm. And her husband is gone or changed or evil or dead. Those things are all the same mm, from yeah. the perspective of grief. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether he's gone or dead or changed to the point that the person that she loved isn't accessible anymore. She's grieving for him. Mm -hmm. And that grief is trauma. And that trauma manifests in mental illness in the same way that like, I mean, we say mental illness and it covers such a huge umbrella of things. But if we use the analogy of physical illness, right? Physical mm -hmm. illness is everything from a cold to I broke my leg. Yeah. Uh, it can be contagious or genetic or something that happened to you. And from the perspective, the show doesn't really care. Yeah. What, like what caused it. It shows us a lot of people with a lot of different kinds of mental illnesses. And like Carrie and Carrie too. Like they're mm -hmm. both a metaphor of a... They're both a metaphor of a codependent relationship and a metaphor of a split personality mm -hmm. and a metaphor of, like, adolescence. And a father-child relationship. And a father-child relationship that's codependent that grows into being more uh, independent and respectful, but it starts out especially. Yeah. That none of these things have to be the same, have to be one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. But all these people are suffering from mental illnesses. Yeah. And one of the things about the show, I think, that is also, like, so compelling is none of them get solved. No. They learn... Most of them learn to cope. Yeah. Uh, even David reset himself and his trauma goes away, but he's still going to be schizophrenic. Yeah. Exactly. Presumably. He's still, and he's still going to be a mutant. And he's still going to be a mutant. And he's going to have different trauma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because people do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's a show about learning to cope with both, again, consequence, like with the world and with yourself. Yeah. And what we mean in the show's terms, when I say mental illness, like what the show is really showing us is people who uh, their interaction with the world is uh, like causes them bro a big problem. Mm -hmm. Like if we're going to be really simple about it and that manifests metaphorically sometimes a lot of the time, but like literalizes the metaphor and the end of the show is like, well, let's help you deal with the let's, help these characters find a way to deal with the world a little better. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean their problems go away or their selves change. Yeah. Some of their selves change. Poor autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> so should we move on and get into a little bit more of like what we thought of the show, what we 
Yes. Or do you have more to say there? No, let's let's go on more to a little more subjective, a little more your personal feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, there are highs and lows to this show. Yep. Do you want to start with highs or lows? I maybe just want to give my overall impression of the show and then get into more specifics. Go. Which is, I think that there is... When I first started watching this show, and I've said on this podcast, you know, two years ago, that I, you know, I got myself a drink of water at the beginning of one episode, and I didn't, I forgot to drink it. I was so into it. I didn't <laughs> check my phone once. And that didn't last, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I'm disappointed in how the show went necessarily, but I don't think it ever lived up to the potential of the first season, even the first episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a lot that I like about it. And I'm glad we did this podcast about it. And I honestly, I'm glad we did this podcast about it because it kept me watching it. And I think a lot of thoughts about it, but it doesn't quite, it was not as satisfying as I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about why or not, but I think uh, in the end, I don't, I wouldn't be like, definitely watch Legion. Like the, the way I was the first season, I was like preaching it to everyone I knew, being like, watch this show. It's so cool. And now I'm like, well, I don't know. You could watch it or not watch it. It's pretty good, but it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think only a specific kind of person will will <laughs> will want to watch it. I I have totally from the beginning thought only a specific person will want to watch it. I wish everyone was that kind of person because I am. <laughs> yeah. I I think I end the whole show happier with it than you do. Yeah, I know you do. But I'll agree, I think, from my perspective, it is the kind of the curse of an amazing beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Legion is one of the examples of that. There are other examples yeah. of... Amazing first seasons. Movies, books, TV yeah. shows, where like the first episode is so good that how can anything live up to it? Mm-hmm. And I think Legion, like... There were maybe episodes I liked better. I still, season one, episode seven, in the mental clockworks mm-hmm. with the silent film. Yeah. Uh, maybe my favorite episode of this show. Yeah. But this, I agree. I never, I didn't check my phone watching Legion. I took notes sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I never again forgot to take a drink of water. Yeah. <laughs> right? Season one, the first episode set such a very high bar. It did. And then the first season set such a very high bar. Mm-hmm. And every season felt very different. And I understand why someone might be disappointed. And I understand why, like, I miss season one mm-hmm. when season two came along. And there were good things in season two that I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. But I always missed season one. Yeah, absolutely. And if the show had started with season two, I I didn't know what I was missing. (laughs) Yeah. I may have liked season two more. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good point. And if the show had started with season three, and I didn't know what I was missing, I might have liked season three more. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. If you take them each, and that may be part of why I like it better than I am more satisfied in the end than you are. Because I kind of had that perspective consciously that, like, partly based on seeing Fargo mm-hmm. and knowing that Noah Hawley does this anthology show. And Fargo, by the way, is the same. Season two and season three of Fargo are both really, really, really good. I don't know that they quite live up to season one of Fargo. Yeah, I don't know. I like season two better of Fargo. But if you were sitting down to watch season two of Fargo expecting more of season one of Fargo. Yeah, you'd be disappointed. disappointed. Yeah. And that's partly, I think, a, we could call it an artistic choice. I mean, the generous, the generous interpretation is to call it an artistic choice. The less generous interpretation is to call it an artistic fetish. 
Noah Hawley likes to move on from things. And that's why he does Fargo's an anthology series. It's part of why, like, he does Fargo and then he moves on to Legion and then he moves on to he's doing a movie. Yeah. Lucy, he did movie, Lucy in the Sky about the astronaut uh, love affair. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do a Doctor Doom movie and then I'm going to write a novel and then maybe I'll write a play and then maybe I'm a musician and maybe I'm a. And there's lots good about that. Uh, but it shows like he gets bored. Okay, I'm going to leave what I was doing and do something else. And I think sometimes really good things get left behind because he's just, I'm through with this, on to the next thing. Mm. The upside of that yeah. is he makes the next thing and it'll be cool. But the downside is sometimes you can miss what has come before. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit the same kind of thing that happened with uh, Joss Whedon back in the heyday of Buffy when he seemed like he got bored of Buffy and made Angel and then got bored of Angel and made Firefly and then everything kind of deteriorated in quality because he was trying to do more than he was capable of. And like, from my perspective, I don't think that season three of Legion suffered because Noah Hawley was distracted. But I do think that there are things from season two and especially season one of Legion that I liked, that I missed, that are the reason I got into the show in the first place. And then they're left behind because he wants to do something new. And I... I missed those things. I liked them. Yes, exactly. So, um, I think you've already have mentioned this, but do you have a favorite season of Legion? Definitely season one. However, when I think about individual episodes, the season two episode with the multiple Davids is one of my favorite episodes in general. So there's you know, favorites within every season for sure. But the overall season one is my absolute favorite season. Yeah, me too. And I think my favorite single episode, I think I've mentioned this before, is season one, episode seven, whatever we named it, the monster appears with the Mm -hmm. one with the silent film section and the chalkboard section. Yes. And like, I love that episode. Yeah. So much. As did I. I think that might also be my favorite episode, just to just to, just to copy you. But yeah, definitely when I think of season one, I think of that, those kind of moments. And we, oh listener, interviewed Denny Gordon, the director of that episode. So you can find right, that yeah. back in our archives. Listen to it if you want to. The sound quality is not great, unfortunately, but it was a real thrill to be able to do mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. So, do you have any other low points of the show that you want to discuss? I think that the one thing, like, I think I I was a little disappointed in general about things, like, it didn't live up, but I still like the whole thing. I think the one disappointment that I have trouble getting over in this show is its treatment of Patonomy. He was one of my favorite characters in the first season, by the second season, he had changed a bit, and then by the third season, they like in the second season they killed him and brought him back as this weird robot thing. And like the, he had so much potential, and his whole power was a plot point, and they just completely took that away. And I didn't like it. I didn't think that it was satisfying, and it just emotionally like, hey, I really like that character, and you just destroyed him. That's always a thing that I. I'm sad about when it happens in any any show. And I mean, I think a part of it for me was if it felt like his death had any meaning or any relevance, like if something had happened with it, it would have been okay. But I feel I felt like it literally was just like, we don't know what to do with this character. Yeah. And so they killed him off and put and him in a different body. Around. So like, that was where the disappointment comes for that. Like, I don't mind characters being killed off on my shows. I watch a lot of shows where characters get killed off. And it's devastating in the moment, but then, like, it has meaning and reason. But then, quite frankly, death doesn't have meaning and reason. Death just happens. It doesn't need, like, maybe I'm just mad at the world for death sucking. So that's a whole thing. (laughs) Here, here. Death sucks. I'll sign on to that. You had thoughts about the women on the show. Mm, Yes, I sure did. By the end, I went into this show liking the way women were portrayed. And by the end of the show, I felt like every woman suffered badly. Melanie was sidelined. Lenny killed herself. Sid, I don't know. 
Sid, what's the word, compromised herself. Mm. And Switch became this, like, other being, which was kind of cool, but also she's not a real person. I just think, like... And then there's so many background women that are literally set dressing. Yeah. All of the women in David's compound are, like... In season three, yeah. That's where, like, it came to a head. Is like, I was having issues with how women were being portrayed and treated in the, sh- in the show, by the show. And season three really, like, really brought it around. And the way Lenny was completely absent for the last episode or two. Also, like, she was the best. Like, Aubrey Plaza was phenomenal in this show. And I felt like they kind of let her down in the end with her death as it was. I don't know. That's I'm I'm I go back and forth on that one, but I do think in general women were not treated as well as they should could have. I think that with Lenny, like one of the the what served her character best was at odds with what served the show best. So I don't know that I liked it. But I could really see where they were going and it was satisfying in some ways the way that she regained her sense of agency and her sense of power. And this person who'd been a drug addict and didn't want to feel any feelings goes through trauma and I don't think she's fridged. I don't think her... I don't think her trauma and pain is for anyone's benefit but for her own. Like, she goes through emotional pain and learns from it who she wants to be. And when she kills herself... I don't want to suggest that killing oneself is an act of power, but in fiction, in the show, she regains her power and her control of herself and Mm. her destiny in a way that I think had meaning in the show. But I don't like the way that she wasn't in the last episode of this show that was so much about her. Mm -hmm. So what was in best interest of the character was at odds for what was in best interests of the show, I yeah. think. Or maybe not best interests, but like where they wanted to go with the character was at odds with where they wanted to go with the show. And I... Yeah, I'm not sure what they knew what they wanted to do in the end. Yeah. So we've uh, aired some disappointments. Do you want to go back to happy things? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about musical numbers and sorry you you want to say that no go ahead let's talk about yeah some of the happier things let's what is our favorite musical numbers yeah why don't you go ahead well i mean the musical numbers are some of the best part of the show yeah every season is different but every season has a musical number has a or more than one more than one exactly and so it's what connects every episode to every season to each other is the musical numbers between them. And it is so hard to pick a favorite. Like when I think of, should I not say this all again? I'd like to just flow with it. Okay. Okay. When I think of the season as a, as a series as a whole and like off the top of my head, because I don't have a list of every, thing right now in front of me uh i think my favorite musical number is the dance off at the beginning of season (laughs) two with melanie with not melanie with uh uh lenny and david and oliver um because it's not just uh it's because of where it is in the set, in the show because it's you had these like small musical numbers in season one and then this big one in season two that you start off with this like bombastic fantastic musical number right at the beginning of season two to kind of show like this show is going to continue with these crazy things <laughs> and it the musical number itself is so good the dancing is phenomenal and yeah so I think that in the end that's my favorite you i have such a also a hard time choosing and uh you know i never met a musical number i didn't like except 
I met so many musical numbers I didn't like. <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. <laughs> Listen to our commentary on The Greatest Showman on our other podcast, Wait Too Seriously for more. But <laughs> I never met a musical number on the show Legion that I didn't like. Yeah. Uh, I don't think... I think the show has a couple of missteps. I don't think they have a musical number misstep yeah. at all. I love them all so much. Mm-hmm. But for me, this is another case of setting incredibly high standards i think my favorite musical number the in the in the entire show is the first one. Oh, really is the david's french. hallucinating <laughs> bollywood french dance in clockworks again partly because of where it's placed in the show and the yeah. effect in the show like as a number itself i really really like it as a like what is this show i'm watching suddenly they broke into song yeah that like the second time I saw it coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't see it coming the first time, and that experience was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like, it brought me so much joy the first time that yeah. they are singing and dancing right now. Yeah. I was so happy. Yes, I agree. That is a really good, really great moment. I could, like, we could name a new favorite musical number from each season. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if, we, if no, that's necessary. Know if we They're so good. And yeah. I, I enjoyed them so much. And the music, not just the musical numbers, like also the soundtrack mm-hmm. is also one of the absolute highlights of this show. Yeah. When I see other TV shows and people talk about like, oh, there's a good soundtrack on this show. And I think, is there though? <laughs> yeah. Well, the music supervisor for both Legion and Fargo is Maggie Phillips. And, I mean, Cards of the Table, we tried multiple times to set up an interview with her, and it just kind of fell through, unfortunately. But she just has an ability to choose songs that fit so well that, like, Behind Blue Eyes. Yeah. You know, is that, is the show written for that song, or is that song written for the show? How on earth does that fit so well? Everything about Everything it is about perfect. Everything about it fits. And, like, and when we watched Fargo, there were songs that were in that, like the Bobby Gentry reunion song, ended up on our playlists forever after that because it was so good. And, and it's good in context. And it's good and in it's context. Good out of context. Exactly. And somehow it just, she has an ear for like exactly the music that's needed in that scene. And... I'll tell you, when I watch a TV show and I say, this soundtrack is really good, who's the music supervisor on this show or on this episode? And it's often, when it's really good, it's often Maggie Phillips. Yep. She's the music supervisor for Handmaid's Tale also, yes, which has right. really good music yep. also. Yep. I forget what, that, what other show, but yeah, she uh, does such a good job. Mm-hmm. She's amazing at this. Yeah. (laughs) Are there any other favorites you want to talk about? Feelings about this show that you want to air? This is our last episode of Clockworks. I've had an absolute blast recording this podcast, watching this show. Mm -hmm. Like you, I liked this show. I loved this show. But like you also... I'm really glad we did a podcast because it encouraged me to think deeply about a show that I think uh, benefits from thinking deeply. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I would have... I think I might have given up on this show if we hadn't been doing a podcast about it, but doing a podcast made me notice so many more things about it. And there are other surreal shows that I feel like maybe I should watch them now. Like I never got into Twin Peaks because it was just super weird. But now that I've gotten into a super weird show... I kind of get why people like them Mm. and why you would want to watch a show that has like surreal elements and bizarre elements. And they're making Fargo season four. Mm -hmm. It's been filmed. There's been a trailer out. It's going to be airing in April, I believe. And so I'm really interested to see how Fargo goes uh, for a fourth season. And if we might want to talk about that on a future like podcast elsewhere or on our Patreon or something, because I'm like, how can we watch Fargo and then not talk about it? We're going to need to talk about it. We're definitely going to talk about it. The other question is whether there will be microphones. Exactly. 
and other shows that we've talked about like we've we've done little special episodes on uh maniac and on russian doll and Mm -hmm. on and on fargo and on i can't remember what else we did uh on the comics as well and it's definitely made me look at some of these shows differently and think about them in a different way having done this podcast and so i'm i'm really happy in the end with with what we've done here and I'm glad to bring it to an end, but I'm excited for the future and what we might do again. Yeah, me too. This is a transition moment, not just in our podcast, but in our lives in lots of ways, including like the, the mundane way during between the last time we recorded an episode, we've moved. Yeah. Uh, so we're literally in a different place in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's true. I am so glad if you've been listening to Clockworks from the beginning, thank you so very much for joining us. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this and it's not 2020, uh, do still let us know. We yeah. would love to hear from you, even if you found Legion and Clockworks in the future and you're listening to it now. Like, we'd still love to hear from you. Yep. I think we, so this is the last episode of Clockworks. We're not going to do what we've done in the past of like extra movies and shows and extras because Legion is over and it's not coming back. Exactly. Um, We have had big conversations about potentially another podcast in the future. Mm -hmm. We might... If Let's you not say stay, what it is because I don't want to... Yeah, this. I'm just saying if you stay subscribed to this, there might be sometime like a five-minute episode that's like, hey, we're making a new podcast, follow us there. Yeah. I'm not saying there will for sure, but if you stay subscribed to this, there might be a little announcement podcast in the future sometime. Yeah, and and follow our continue following our Twitter feed at ClockworksCast. We'll put, put updates there as to what we're doing in the future as well as uh, our personal accounts, which is mine is at J-L-M-O, J-A-Y-E-L-L-E-M-O. And, and mine is at that Paul Moffat with two T's and an E at the end of Moffat. M-O-F-F-E-T-T. <laughs> not, not, not T-T-E. Not T-T-E. <laughs> I think for the very last time, I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Goodbye.